This is your house. These are your neighbor's houses. How many of these neighbors do you know by name? Go ahead, try to name them. If you're like most people these days, you probably only know a few of your neighbors by name. We have garages for our cars, privacy fences for our backyards, and we seem to be perpetually busy. You're doing pretty well if you wave or say hi as you're passing by. But what if we did more? What if we made it a point to learn the names of the people who live on our block? What if we took the time to listen to our neighbors and find out what makes them tick? What if our neighborhoods relied on each other in times of need, whether it be for a cup of flour or a shoulder to cry on? What if Jesus really meant that we should love our actual neighbors? Imagine the difference you could make in your neighborhood if you got to know your neighbors better. When I was uh, 16, I was really motivated to get my driver's license. So when I was 15, I did the, the permit, I did the class, I, 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 I thought I studied well, um, did the whole driver and instruction thing, practiced with my parents. So right when I was 16, I took the driver's test. And that's probably the moment in my life in which I was most motivated to follow the rules, right? Like, think about it. There's moments in your life in which you're suddenly like, okay, like suddenly a police officer is driving behind you. You're like, okay, what's the rules again? Where do my hands go? Okay, what are, you know, am I supposed to signal, right? But there's no moment in your life when you're trying harder uh, to follow the rules than that moment where literally the driving instructor is next to you with a checklist seeing if you follow the rules. So I was trying to follow the rules, okay? We did the little drive. We went around, uh, around the Merced where I grew up. And uh, then we parked back at the DMV, and the man said to me, and I'm like waiting for my grade. I'm like, all right, what did I, what'd I get? You know, did I get, my, did I get my driver's license? He said, well, Matt, you did not get a passing score today, and if things hadn't gone differently, we could have been killed. <laughs> I, I, I just have his exact words burned in my brain. We could have been killed. And I looked at his score sheet, and I was like, okay, what's my, what's my score? And I had no score. I had two automatic Fs, okay? Two automatic, just F. He stopped keeping score. I did so bad. Okay, here's what I did. Uh, first thing I did is uh, we were driving, and uh, I hadn't really driven in traffic much uh, in my practice. and I didn't know this particular rule that when you're driving the, the green, I knew green means go, okay? I didn't know green means go if you can get through the intersection, I thought green means go. So I drove and then, oh, look, the traffic backed me up, but I'm now in the intersection and the light's no longer green. Now, here's the thing. The left lane was all stopped up and the right lane was empty. So anybody with half a brain would simply get into the right lane and get out of the intersection, right? But I remembered the rule that you're not supposed to change lanes <laughs> in an intersection. And there was a guy sitting there writing down. So it was a lot of pressure on me. I'm like, oh, I don't want to miss a point by changing lanes in the intersection. I know that rule. So what did I do? I just sat there <laughs> blocking the intersection. So these people have a green light and they cannot go because they know the rule about don't go through a car, right? <laughs> and so 
throughout the entire cycle of the lights, the green, these people, these people, I just sat there blocking the intersection with people honking at me. Nope, I'm not gonna change lanes at intersection. Okay. Now, apparently the same rule applies for railroad tracks. This was my other automatic F as I, I was going. It's like, okay, there's a green, okay, we go. And I, I stop on railroad tracks. And I'm like, okay, well, I just gotta wait till uh, there's space to go. And you know, I'm not gonna change lanes on railroad tracks. And uh, so twice, I just sat there fixated on the rule about not changing lanes at an intersection and forgetting about the two most important rules of driving. Number one, don't get hit by a train. <laughs> and number two, don't get hit by a car. So I failed the driving test by fixating on one particular microscopic rule and neglecting the big picture of don't get killed, okay? So I practiced those rules put them into practice, and I'm proud to say I now have a driver's license. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So Jesus once rebuked the Pharisees, who are experts in the law, people who have studied the law meticulously so that they can observe every detail. This was their great passion in life, is to observe the details of the law and he once rebuked them for making a similar mistake to what I made. Let's look at Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you. That, that's bad, by the way. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Some translations say the heavier, the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former, right? It's like me sitting in the intersection, trying to obey the don't change lanes at intersection rule while forgetting the fact that I'm on railroad tracks or there's oncoming traffic about to hit me. Right? The Pharisees are tithing on the garden boxes in their house. They're growing some mint leaves. And they're giving 10% of their mint leaves to the temple so they can make mojitos. And they're forgetting <laughs> about the weightier matters of law. You're forgetting what's really important. So we who want to follow Jesus with our lives, we want to know, okay, well, what's the most important thing? We don't want to make the same mistake, right? We don't want to just get fixated on the wrong things. We want to know, okay, what are the really, really important parts of the Bible, really important commands of God? What, what is the most important thing that we have to keep in mind to live out in our lives? Well, we see this again, one chapter earlier, again in the conversation with these teachers of the law in Matthew chapter 22, 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, these are the rivals. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Now they're hoping to trip him up. They're hoping he says something and they can prove him wrong and say, no, 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 we got a more important one. But this is what he says. 
love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Jesus is quoting two Old Testament commands. The first one comes from Deuteronomy 6.5. This is talking about loving the Lord with all of your heart and mind and strength. Leviticus 19.18 is where it says, love your neighbor as yourself. It's talking about don't harbor grudges, but love your neighbor as yourself. And he picks out of all the Old Testament, he picks out these two commands and say, yep, this is the most important, these two, these two things. If you're going to do anything right, you know, a lot of stuff you can do in your life. If you're going to do anything right in your life, do these two. Love God and love neighbor. It's like the foundational rules of driving. Don't get hit by a train. Don't get hit by a car. So when my family, uh, when we travel anywhere, uh, there's always, you know, the ritual of loading the car. Okay. Now I have appointed myself as the load master when we go anywhere, all right? Raise your hand if in your family or your household, you're the load master. You're, okay. Okay, mostly I see men raising their hand, okay? It could go either way, but I see a lot of dudes that are like, oh, I wanna be the one, okay? Now we take this job pretty seriously, okay? And if someone else tries to take our job, we insist on taking it back because they're gonna mess it up. And I certainly would never let my kids be the load master because what are they gonna do? <laughs> They're just going to put all their stuff in their backpack, you know, their, 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 their pillow, all this stuff. It's going to take up all the premium space. And then you know what's going to happen? It's going to get all full. And then finally Joy packs her back. And it's on the large side. And I'm never going to get it in. Okay, mine's pretty big too. I'm going to admit it. Okay, okay. All right, mom and dad have the big bags. And if the kids' backpacks and stuff and toy, whatever they're bringing with them, is all like there on the ground, there's no way we're going to get the mama and the papa bags in the car, right? We just want to make sure we have the big bags laid out first. We're going to load them. Okay, then we got the kids like carry-on pieces, and then we're going to kind of wrap around that, right? Same, same principle, same principle was as we're thinking about our obedience to Jesus Christ. We've accepted him as Lord and Savior. If you've done that, uh, then, then it means, okay, we're going to try to live our life according to the way he teaches. And that means, okay, we're going to put the big suitcases in first. We're going to try to understand how to live out. And he says, here's the big suitcases. Here's the big rules. Love God with everything that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. Then in verse 40, he says this. He says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments, all the law and the prophets. Now, the law and the prophets are two very big parts of the Bible. If you look at the law, you can think of that as the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and all of the rules that are contained in there that were foundational to the life uh, and the faith of Israel. Okay, all of, all of the Torah plus all of the prophets, which is almost all the rest of the Old Testament outside of the writings, right? So it's almost the entire Old Testament hangs on these two commandments. Let me just show you what he means by that. What, what does that mean they, they hang on this? And I'll just give you a brief tour of the most famous part of the law, the Ten Commandments, and we're going to see this in, it's called Matt's paraphrase version, okay? 
So here's the, here's the Ten Commandments in uh, Matt's paraphrased version. Okay, put God first, no idols, honor God's name, observe the Sabbath. Now, traditionally, people uh, divide these, we're just going to have a space there, is uh, often Bible commenters would divide the Ten Commandments into these two sections, the first four being about loving God, right? You're going to put God first in your life, no gods before him. You're not going to be worshiping any kind of engraven idols. You're not going to use the Lord's name in vain. You're going to observe the Sabbath, honor it as his holy day. Now, I would argue for a slightly different division, I think it's 3.5 and 6.5 because the Sabbath day actually has to do with neighbor also. The Sabbath says honor God by observing the Sabbath and give a day off to your workers, to your animals, to your kids, everyone who's under your power, give them a day off. So it actually affects neighbor too. But you're gonna see a big shift here. So this is generally about love of God. Now let's look at five through 10. Honor your parents, no murder, no adultery, no stealing. Don't lie about your neighbors and don't crave your neighbor's stuff, okay? In my paraphrase, okay? It's, these are rules of neighboring. And a foundation to loving your neighbor is don't kill your neighbor, okay? Don't try to uh, run off with your neighbor's spouse, don't steal from your neighbor. Don't falsely accuse your neighbor in court. You see, even in the Ten Commandments. So when Jesus says all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands, we can see that built into the Ten Commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. See how this works, right? Now, the, the, the teachers of the law are impressed with this. They're, they're like, wow, that, that, kinda, that actually kind of makes sense. We, we get it. So what we're going to be doing for the next six weeks is focusing on that second great command that's kind of, you know, down here, that love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the reason we're going to be doing that is, is we actually spend quite a lot of time working on our love of God. And, and we, when we sing worship songs and we think about God and we tell the truths of God and how wonderful God is, and we're thinking about the love of God. And that should lead us into the second one, love our neighbor. And we don't think of that as much in particular, we're going to be uh, thinking about how to love our actual literal neighbors. Now, a lot of times when we approach the scripture, we take it in a different direction. We, we think about it in terms of, okay, our neighbor at church or our neighbor at school or our neighbor in the club that we join or our neighbor as in someone that we see on a street corner who's homeless. We, we take it to all those directions, which I conclude, but we're going to be thinking about our actual literal neighbors. Uh, I want to uh, introduce you to this book uh, that we're going to be, it's going to be a companion piece for us as we study. And this is available about, it's called The Art of Neighboring. And uh, this was written by a couple of pastors. We can just keep this up. The, a couple of pastors that were part of a citywide movement of churches that just sought to respond to the call uh, of the mayor of their city that just said, you know what, so many of the social ills that we're facing in our city could be solved if neighbors just knew each other and cared for each other. And there was built-in support networks right next door. That would just end like half of what our city is trying to solve right there. And they were, they were amazed. They were like, did the, as this group of pastors from this pastor network in the city, as they as, they, as the mayor left, they said, did, did the mayor of our city just ask us to obey Jesus and to love our neighbor? 
and say that would be the secret to fixing and saving our city. And what I love about this book, by the way, there's, gonna, there's about 50 of these available in the back. They're about $10. You can also order them online. We're going to have our, uh, life groups. There's a companion piece for life groups to study it. You can do that with or without the reading. I know some of you are allergic to homework. Uh, so get the book if you're a reader. Don't get the book if you're just like, I'm not going to read. Okay, don't fake it. All right. Uh, but it can work either way with the book uh, or without. But I think it's, it's pretty good. Now, what they found is that uh, uh, one of the, the, the things that helps them the most in actually building a loving relationship with their neighbor is to actually know your neighbor's names. Has anyone found that helpful in relationships? Has anybody found, probably in some relationships here at the church, that there's a sort of a ceiling built into the relationship you can have with someone whom you don't know their name? It happens all the time. You've met them two, three times, and they've told you their name two, three times, and you've forgotten it over and over and over again. And now it's like, it's too late. They think I know their name. I have to fake it, right? So then your relationship becomes, hey, bro. Hey, dude, man. You know, you know, there's a limit. There's a limit to how deep you're going to go when you can't know their name. Now, how many of us know our neighbors' names? Now, here's the thing. I don't mean your nickname for them. I mean their actual name that their parents gave them, okay? So some of you are like, yeah, I know my neighbor, right? There's, there's cat lady. There's, uh, there's angry dude. There's that one guy that, uh, you know, he, he does his recycling cans at, at midnight. Uh, and there's the party house, right? Like, I know my neighbors. Well, I mean, what, what about their actual names? Because when you know their names the relationship begins to change. When you start to know their names, it's just a foundational building block to go from to, hey, neighbor, to, hey, Joe, maybe all the way to, hey, Joe, how are you doing today? And then graduate level work, hey, Joe, how's your mom? I remember you told me she was in the hospital last time. Is she doing okay? Wow, that's like graduate degree conversations. But it begins with their names. Raise your hand if you got this. Uh, we, we, we got a bunch of these. If you didn't, there's a bunch of them on the way out. Uh, so what, it's a, a magnet for your refrigerator. I know some of you pass by like, like you do when someone's trying to hand you the flyer. You're like, no, I don't want that, you know. Uh, particularly when you looked at it, you're like, wait, it's going to challenge me to love my neighbor? I don't want it, right? But you can get this on your way out. Just a, 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 it's, a, it's a magnet for your fridge, and this is the challenge. So uh, would you be willing to try to learn the names of the eight homes closest to you. So whatever that looks like, if you're a rural countryside, you got some walking to do. If you're in apartments, gonna be maybe they're gonna be closer by, but whatever it is, it doesn't have to match up to this exact grid, but uh, could you learn the names in the homes, the eight homes closest to you? Let's take a second now and just kind of look at that, or if you don't have one, look at this graphic and see, okay, how many names, so how many homes do you know the names of the people inside those homes? So if there's 20, 25 people in one home, it's not 25 points, it's just one. Make sense? So it's going to have a little challenge. I want you to kind of look at this, look at this, and just for a minute think, how many, how many names do you know of your eight closest neighbors? Let's take a minute for that. All right, all right, here we go. More work to be done. I think I heard someone say, hey, what, what's Cat Lady's name? You know? Okay, all right. We got a little contest. This is going to be fun. Okay, I invite everyone who's able to stand. Okay, everyone who's able, go ahead and stand up. 
We've got a book giveaway contest, okay? All right. All right, here we go. All right. No, hey, listen. In this exercise, no shame, okay? We're just, we're just, we're just trying to say, okay. Remain standing if you know the name of at least one neighbor, okay? Remain standing. Some people are like, I'm gonna sit down, but I don't wanna, oh, look, I'll close my eyes so I don't see. Go ahead, sit down. Okay, remain standing if you know the names of at least two homes that you're nearby. Okay. Now remain standing if you know the names of at least three people in three of the homes near. Now this is where I'm gonna sit down. Okay. Okay, this is honestly where I would sit down. Okay. All right, remain standing if you know four. You know the names of the four homes, okay? Five homes, the five homes closest to you, you know all the names in the home. I'm making it harder now to get more people to sit down. Do you know all the names of the people in the five closest homes? Wow, okay. Six, six homes? Seven? Eight? Do you know all the names in the eight closest homes? Wow. All right. Okay. So that's as far as the exercise. So listen, hey, I, I, was, I didn't think there was gonna be that many, so I only have one book. So if you, if you were still standing, I know, I know, I know. If you're still standing, uh, you get to have a free book in the back, okay? Uh, but as Vanessa just pointed out to me, you are the people who don't need a book. <laughs> so you're the people who could write the book to the rest of us. Remember, I sat down after two. So uh, you can get a free book from the back and then go give it to one of the rest of us who need it more than you, okay? <laughs> All right, so you can do that. So, okay, a couple of things I wanna handle because some of you, just a, a couple of things that might be in people's minds, okay. Here, here's something that I've heard, because I've studied this verse a lot of different times in different contexts, different churches. And in every small group, life group, Bible study that I've ever been in where we look at this verse, I hear somebody say something that I want to just kind of, kind of address right away. I always hear someone say, love my neighbor as myself, but what if I don't love myself very much? Okay, you guys have heard this? You thought this? Okay. So let's just talk about that for a second. Let's say, uh, what if I don't love myself very much? Then what? Okay. Does it give you a pass to love your neighbor? Can you say to your neighbor, hey, neighbor, you're horrible. But it's okay because I'm horrible too. So we're, you know, it's equal like what Jesus said. Does it work like that, right? Well, no. Okay, here's the thing. Uh, a lot of times in New Testament, when we hear the word love, it's talking about actions. What do we do? Okay, so it's not necessarily Jesus saying, hey, everyone have like really warm, fuzzy feelings about your neighbor. Because maybe you're not gonna have those towards your neighbor at 2 a.m. when their dog won't stop barking. Okay, sorry neighbors if you're here, okay. Um, uh, also this, yourself, your feelings about yourself might, might, might undulate and go up and down, but let's just think about it in terms of actions, okay. When I reflect on this, sometimes I have positive feelings about myself, sometimes negative. But guess what I always do when I'm hungry? I feed me. What do I always do when I'm thirsty? I get myself something to drink. What do I do when I get cold? Whether I'm happy or I'm depressed, I put on a jacket. And what do I do if someone steps on my foot? 
I say, ouch, and I get indignant and I stick up for me. It turns out I'm passionate about me, right? With my actions, even as feelings go up and down. And all of us are like that. We, we care for needs. We, we take actions that defend the integrity and the, the needs of the me. So that's what Jesus is saying. Love your neighbor as yourself. Would you, would you see your neighbor's need as important as your own, right? If they're hungry, if they're cold, if they're lonely, I'm going to be passionate about their needs just like my own. And then here's another one. I think there's probably some people in the room who are thinking, what about, well, why, why are we talking about our literal neighbors, right? I, I've, I've talked to, uh, to different people about this, this upcoming series, and they say, okay, yeah, I'm going to apply it to the cubicles at work, okay? That's what I'm going to, you know, or I'm going to apply it to, you know, the people, you know, on my softball team. I'm going to apply it to the people at, at whatever type situation. That's who I want to think about, the people who play pickleball with me or the people that I, you know, am friends with. Isn't this really just a metaphor for love everyone, right? Aren't we supposed to love everyone as ourselves? But I, I want to I suggest that for one thing, we can't make a lot of progress on anything when we just target everything. Of course we should love everyone, but it's hard to like get better at that all at once. But also the instinct from the very beginning of telling this story, from when Jesus, when, when Jesus first tells these commands, the first recorded response to those commands was by someone who wanted to limit the call to neighbor. In particular, to see if it could be limited to people of our own choosing, people of our own social preferences. Okay, we see this in Luke chapter 10. This is uh, the, the Luke's version of, of when these commands are first spoken. And the, a man says, uh, it says, but he wanted to justify himself, the man that he's talking with. And so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? He wants to kind of, uh, kind of box it in. This command feels big. It feels vague. You know, how can I kind of put a box around that so that I can, you know, accomplish this task and so that I can feel good about myself? That's what it means, justify myself. Is it just maybe my immediate, like, next-door neighbor? Or is it just people who share my same values and, and language and cultural heritage? Like, what, what does this mean, my neighbor? Well, here's a story that Jesus tells, verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by another side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Let's just pause there. Why is Jesus picking those two particular people? Okay. The person in question is a Jewish man, and these two people are also Jewish men, and they are actually religious leaders, and so they're the people that you would expect to be good neighbors. They're the people you expect to go and care for the person in need, and yet they actually just pass by instead. So probably if that person who had been attacked could choose someone to be like, okay, you get, you get three people, 
they're going to pass by and see you in need. Who do you choose? Probably he would say, okay, I'm going to pick a priest. I'm going to pick a Levite because they're going to see me. That's who they might choose. But then verse 33, a Samaritan. This is, a, this is like a cultural enemy, a different uh, very, person, very different and at cultural odds with his own culture. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came, by, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. It's kind of the equivalent of the day of taking him to a hospital. The next day, he took out two denarii, this is money, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So it's someone who's kind of, a, kind of an enemy, a different different culture, some different uh, background, uh, is suddenly, suddenly diving into something that maybe shouldn't be his problem and taking him to the hospital and paying all of his expenses and going above and beyond. Jesus says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So one of the things that happens uh, in this passage is that the man is seeking to limit the call to, to good neighboring, and Jesus turns it around and tries to expand the man's thinking about the call to good neighboring. But one unfortunate thing that happens to us sometimes in our application is that we now interpret all of the command of loving your neighbor in this one specific example Jesus gave of you're walking along and you see someone down on the street and, and, and they're beat up and what do you do? And so now we think totally in terms of, okay, see, see, you see a homeless person. And, and okay, and what do you do, right? And while that might be an example and one of the aspects of things that Jesus might stretch us to do, that's not the only application of the command to love your neighbor. It's still actually talking about your neighbor. But he's trying to stretch it to the point where we would be a good neighbor, even if the person around us or near us is different from us. Even if helping them might become expensive, even if it might take time, even if it's a little scary, we should still seek them out and be good neighbors. And nothing in Jesus' expansion of our understanding of neighbor exempts us from knowing, loving, and serving our actual, literal neighbors. We're all too familiar with um, the, the, the pandemic of COVID-19, right? Has anybody not heard of it? Okay. It's this thing that happened, okay? And uh, turned our lives upside down. And... People quarantined and there's, there's all, all, you guys know the whole story, okay? And, uh, and I remember in the middle of just lockdowns and I, and I, I knew people who died. I, I mean, I had, a, I had a friend die of, of this and I was a, a pastor of a church in Jacksonville, Florida and we had a, a couple early on get it and, uh, and, and be quarantined, be in hospitals and, and both of them, both of them died. And we had a lot of people get, get really sick. And then, and then there was, uh, you know, this separation where people were sick, but then no one could go into the room and be with them. This was a horrible thing. 
And, and, and I remember all throughout this pandemic, uh, just, just, just wishing, like having almost like a, like a fantasy of having a cure, right? Like what, what if I just had this like vial of magic potion and I could just walk into a house and be like, hey, hey, I, I, got, the, I got the cure. Like here, just take, take a little bit of this and you're gonna be okay, right? This was back before there's any kind of treatments or any kind of uh, vaccines or anything like that. It was just like, oh, I wish I could just, you know, I know these people that are suffering. I wish I could just go in there and, and, and bring some cure and then everyone's gonna be okay. And, and I didn't have that. This year, the Surgeon General put out uh, a warning of a new epidemic. Do you know what this new epidemic is? The next thing we're supposed to worry about that's gonna plague our thing, that this is a massive, doing massive harm to the physical health of Americans. It's this, I think we have a, a picture here. Do we have it? This is the Surgeon General's warning about our epi epidemic of loneliness and isolation. An epidemic of loneliness and isolation. This is a medical doctor, Surgeon General of the United States, putting out there's a new epidemic, loneliness and isolation. And there's, it's a big report. There's all these reports about how isolated they are, which is not unconnected to COVID, right? This is something that COVID just made extreme and, and habits that people formed, you know, in the last few years have just become ingrained and, and people are more isolated, but that's not a new occurrence, right? This is what was being studied even before COVID that there's been a lot of changes in society that have just pulled people farther and farther away. And it's, it's literally killing people. The statistics for people who are lonely and isolated don't have that much relational connection. They don't know neighbors or anyone else they're far more likely to die of all kinds of diseases. They're far more likely to have suicidal thoughts or behaviors. I think we've all seen in news reports about just the, another epidemic of school shootings. And isn't it always the same story once they go and find the person? It's this kid, he's kind of an outcast and he was socially isolated and nobody talked to him. And, and, then, and then one day, Horror upon horror happened, right? There's an epidemic of loneliness and isolation that creates other epidemics. Now, during COVID, I so desperately, I pray, oh God, I wish I had a little potion. I could walk into someone's house and make them well. Well, here's the crazy thing about this epidemic is that Jesus has given you the potion like he's already given it to you, you have it. You have the capacity. Wherever you li live, God has placed you there. What if he didn't put you there by accident? What if, what if you're in your neighborhood? N not just because you, know, you liked the, the trees or how close it was to school or work. What, what if there's, there's people next door to whom you could bring the potion? of relational connection, of love of neighbor, of, hey, how are you doing? I'm not, I'm not in a rush to race by or I'm not in my car with the tinted windows and going like this so you don't see me. I'm, I'm gonna stop and I'm gonna say hi and I'm gonna acknowledge you 
and I'm acknowledging your humanity and I know your name and I'm gonna care about you. I'm gonna know about your family. And if something happens to you, I'm gonna know about it. I wanna be here for you. What, what, if, what if we are the cure? What if the church is the cure for this epidemic? Love your neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, there's gonna be some other things that come to mind like, pastor, I'm, I'm too busy. I, 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 got, I got it, my relational dance card is full. My responsibilities are full. I don't have time for that. Guess what? That's, that's next week's sermon. Hey, pastor, my, my neighbors, okay, my neighbors are really different from me. If I was to have any relationship with them at all, I'd have to learn another language. Hey, that's, uh, that's a sermon in two weeks. <laughs> hey, pastor, that, uh, uh, th- this just feels weird. I just feel like all awkward. Like, I, I don't even know. I just, I, it doesn't feel right. Hey, that's what DJ is going to preach on in three weeks. But I have nothing to offer my neighbors. That's week five. Week six, I can't stand my enemies. We, I can't stand my neighbors. We're enemies. Hey, that's week six. All right, we're going we're gonna to get you covered, Okay. I encourage you to uh, check out the book. We have some in the back. I encourage you to do this with your life group. We have d- discussion questions. There's like little videos that can go with it. Uh, let, let's go out on this adventure. Let's see what God does with it. If we just take God's com- second greatest command and we try to obey it bravely and literally and just try to love the homes, the eight closest homes to us. Are you with me on this? We'll get there. We'll get there. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And uh, it's challenging. Uh, We just pray that you might use us. God, we pray that uh, that we we might be the, the church and be the hands and feet right there where we live. We pray that you would build uh, relationships that, uh, that amaze us, that bless us, that bless them. We pray that you would honor, be honored in this effort and that your name would be praised as we seek to live this out. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us uh, today. Just a few invitations for you. Uh, JD, you're going to be where? Chapel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I put you on the spot there. Give me the chapel. If you want to hear more about the cool ministry in the Philippines, there's going to be food there, okay? I uh, hear it's going to be good. Uh, social hall, that's going to be the chapel. Social hall still has the, uh, the marriage class continuing. And if any of you are new or new-ish, we have a meeting right over here with me. It's called Intro to Christ Community. And we'll just gather just for a few minutes, and I'd love to learn your name. Uh, I'm working on that. Uh, and just find out a little bit about you and then let you know a little bit about the church. So if you're new, just like to gather just for a few minutes uh, right over here. Uh, hear now this, this blessing, this benediction. May you know the love of God that despite anything about you or anything that you have done pursues you and knows you by name and loves you. May you learn to love that God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And may you experience the miracle of God using you to love the person next to you. Go in peace.